today. There are some ministry opportunities coming up, and Rebecca Moran is going to share those with us. Amen. Let's hear it for Rebecca. Hello. Okay, so um, there is a uh, Mario Murillo Living Proof Crusade coming up in November. And uh, I was looking for things for me to do. And I went to his website and I noticed they needed volunteers. So I thought, well, that would be more fun than attending the event. So um, they need pe people for all kinds of things, you know, signing in and stuff. But what I wanted to do is pray for people. And so um, then I thought, well, I don't want to go alone. Wouldn't it be fun to have a team from Vineyard go and represent at this event? So um, I printed off some cards, and they're on the little table out there. Um, I thought we could carpool down together, and um, there's a training event. It's uh, on November 12th. And you don't have to stay the whole time. I think it's like a five or six day event, but just stay as long as you can. Um, you can go to his website, mariomarillo.org, to sign up as a volunteer. And I also put my email address on here, so if you have questions um, about uh, carpooling, that kind of thing. Um, but I think it would be a really neat thing to do um, as a body to yeah. go down together. Yeah. kind of. <coughs> Oh, it's in Roseville, California. Just outside of Sacramento. Yeah. California. And then um, I am going to have another Freedom Night on Woo August 20th. So uh, mark that on your calendar and think of people to invite. Yes. Friends and family. Don't tell them what it's about. Just surprise them. <laughs> and... I think that's all. Bring out whiteboards and stuff like that, are you? No. I'm just okay. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm telling you, you guys, you guys have got some stuff. And I'm telling you, it would be awesome to see us engage in giving some of this away, taking out of the building. I'd love to see who can go, uh, whoever can go down to Mario Murillo. Um, and, and work with his crew. Uh, he is a huge part of my life and my testimony, my son and my family, my father, and uh, it's an amazing ministry. So I encourage you to contact Rebecca and we can figure out all the logistics and, and, and make it happen as a team. I think it would be awesome. And really encourage people that you know that could really use a touch of Jesus in terms of just deliverance and healing in their lives to be here on the 20th. Amen? Amen. You know, last week we had some amazing testimonies of what brought you originally to the vineyard or what happened early in your life in the vineyard. But I want to I be clear. I'm not trying to relive those glory days. As powerful and as wonderful as they were, we have to move on. Amen? That was a season or a life where Steve and I, Shaw, used to talk about this a lot. We don't get to control that divine spark. The Holy Spirit does. But it was a moment in time when the Holy Spirit lit a, lit a lot of people's pants on fire. And they were ignited with hope and, 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 and with just incredible glory and joy. And they just persevered and pushed in to everything that God had. And that's why a lot of you are here today. 
I'm just kind of doing part two, and I want to move on, but this is part two of you guys. Most of you know that Sandy and I had attended the regional uh, vineyard conference, and a lot had transpired in the last few years in the vineyard. Because of all of the catastrophic events around the country that were happening, there were churches, vineyard churches, and other churches around the country who actually had to close their doors or just literally close their doors. There was a lot of young pastors around, around the country who just realized, I didn't sign up for this. I don't think there's a pastor in the, in, in the nation that ever, ever has gone through that season, nor you, that we went through in the last few years, right? It was a rough time. A lot of time was spent talking people off the ledge and talking people through and around and navigating the storm. And what was, what was hard was a lot, of, a lot of shepherds who were shepherding had no one to shepherd them. It was a tough time. But God, through the gra- by the grace of God, we persevered. And, and, and I'm, I'm so proud of you guys for standing tall in that moment. And look at you today. You're amazing people. And you have so much potential. You have so much to give away. But one thing that Jay really focused on was coming out of the chaos of the 60s, which birthed the Jesus movement. We talked about that. I gave you quite a little history lesson on that last week and before. It gave birth to an incredible revival that totally altered the face of the planet. It really literally did. And I think in our lifetime, if you're over 55, I don't know if we've ever seen a revival of that magnitude. But I believe that coming out of the chaos of the last few years, we're about to see and to be part of an incredible move of God once again. But there's a big if. There's a big if in this story. It's if we don't forget who we are and if we don't forget what we have been called to. Amen. We're not called to sit here and warm these pews. That's part of our journey. But we're not. This isn't what you're called to do. You're called to do something so much bigger. Now, gathering is important, but there is a calling on our lives to go outside of these walls. In fact, Matthew 28 talks about it, the Great Commission. We have been commissioned by God to go out and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations. And we're to teach them to obey everything that God taught us so that they, too, can become followers of Christ. It's kind of like rinse and repeat, and they do it themselves. That's what we're called to do. We must never forget, never, never, never forget that we are called to preach the gospel. If you want to get back to your roots, it's going back to that moment when you first fell in love with Jesus. Remember that moment? Man, some of you guys had tears probably shooting straight out of your eyes, your heart. All of a sudden, it was so heavy, became so light. You remember this incredible... How many remember the moment that you became a believer and the Spirit of God touched your life? Yeah, yeah. Well, return to that moment. What, what brought you to that moment? Well, it, it, it probably was a moment where someone or someones was sharing Jesus to you or with you in some way, shape, or form. Amen? Listen to the words that Paul, who knew his time was short, shares with Timothy, a young preacher. Now, I'm going to just make the assumption that all of you in this room have a little bit of a preacher in you. Amen? Okay. Some of you are actually called to be a preacher at another level. That equips the body of Christ. But every one of us has a voice because I've heard it. 
And I mean that in a good way. You guys have a voice, and it needs to be heard. Your story, how you encountered Jesus. Some of you have written books about your encounter with Jesus. Powerful, powerful stuff. Turn with me quickly to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to run through verses 1 through 8 really quickly. This is Paul, his charge to Timothy. He's speaking to Timothy, a young man, a young preacher. He says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? And in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. That's some pretty heavy language there. I give you this charge, Timothy. I'm speaking to you, y'all in this room right now. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Man, I'm telling you, every one of you has a testimony, and you should be honing that testimony because some moment, someday, you'll be in a situation where someone's going to say, well, hey, what's your story? Uh, can I get back to you? It's going to take me three weeks to write that, and i got to proof it. i got to spell check it because I'm a terrible speller. i got to have, you know, six people look at Stop it. You have a story. Be working on it. Be prepared. Be ready to give that story and that account of how you came to Jesus. It says, uh, <clears throat> be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Whew, what a challenge. But that's something we're called to do. From time to time, people will not put up with, excuse me, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Man, we're seeing that like crazy today. It's been going on for a long time. But people go, have you listened to? Have you listened to? Have you listened? Have you? Have you I said, yeah, but have you read the word, what Jesus is actually saying in this? Have you talked to the Holy Spirit? I'm just, you know, checking in with him to make sure this is all legit. Amen? Wow. Thank you, Clyde. <laughs> but then he goes on to say, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I'm telling you, there is so much out there today, especially in the event of social media and the internet and all that. Man, there is just so much information just spinning all over the place. And you grab bits and pieces and you start to put together this gospel. And, Ooh, that seems comfortable to me. I'm telling you, if you want to be Taken out of that place of being comfortable, read Bonhoeff, D uh, Dietrich Bonhoeff. Ooh, he will light your pants on fire. Oh, my goodness. I, I hear these people talk about passion. I'm passionate. I'm so passionate. Ooh, and, and you ask them, well, give me a definition of passion. Well, it's this thing I love to do. It's exciting, and it makes me feel happy and full of joy. Woo! I get it. But when you look at the passion of Jesus, you ever watch the passion of Christ? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to experience pain for what you believe? That's passion. And that's the kind of passion I want to live my life with. Got kind of quiet in here. <clears throat> but he says this, Timothy, that's my emphasis. But, but you, Timothy, are you, everyone in this room, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Your passion will take you through that hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Whoop, there it is. There it is. 
We're called to do the work of an evangelist. Pastor, that's just not my gift. I'm just not an evangelist. Every one of you, every one of you has the ability to articulate the truth in the word of God in some way, shape, or form. You, not everyone's called to stand and call people out. And like like I would, I would consider Mario Murillo a, a, a prophetic evangelist. Man, he calls you out with fire. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he goes on, discharge all your duties, all the duties of your ministry. In other words, he's saying fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Typically in, in, in circles of believers, we have incredible starters. A lot of people are really good starters, but they don't finish well. God's saying, you need to carry out. You need to fully carry out the ministry that I've given you to do. That's a prophetic word in this room for some of you today. You need to fully carry out what God has placed on your heart and your hands to do. I hear a lot of frustration from people and, and they're able to articulate, oh, this is so bad over here. And that, that could be, and you know what a lot of that is, is you are part of the solution to that problem. That's why you're so torqued about it. God has placed in you something to change that. Be aware of that. Lean into that. He goes on, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Paul had lived his life to the fullest. Yes, he had a huge, huge directional shift and change in his life when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Totally, radically altered his life, and boom, in a second, He's on fire for God, and he gave it his absolute all. And he says, man, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. He knew that God was coming for him to take him home soon. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, turn there really quick. Paul again, he's talking about the resurrection of Christ and the power of the gospel. We must not forget this stuff, guys. We're called to be evangelists. I believe with all my heart that God has designed the church based on Ephesians 4 to run on a five-fold ministry, five cylinders hitting on every cylinder. You have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And I believe that in a church, when all of those gifts are present, you're hitting on all cylinders. I think you're going to find a super healthy group of believers, a super healthy, energized group that wants to go out and do the stuff. Amen? If you have a church that's just led by a teacher, it will cycle back around. You know, I heard that. I've heard that so many times over the last two years, whatever. And, and they get tired of that. But if you have the apostolic or you have the prophetic mixed in with that, it brings perspectives that really challenge and change your heart. We need to be hitting on every cylinder. And if there's a cylinder right now that we're misfiring on, I believe it's evangelism. I mean, look around at the empty chairs. 
I know it's August. I know people are camping and moving about. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. It's the last hurrah before school starts. I get that. But think about it. Think about the chair next to you. Could someone be sitting there who needs an encounter with Jesus? I think so. But how do they get here? We, we don't build these buildings. Well, some may have built this ability. Well, we built it and they will come. It doesn't work like that. We have to go and compel them to come to Christ. And being in this building isn't what I'm after. It's, it's people coming to know Jesus. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 1, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Amen. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I, I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And that's this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So he's speaking about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about the power of the gospel. It has the ability to save us. It has the ability to bring us incredible life. And then he goes on in verse 30, uh, 58, jump down. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't get all wishy-washy. Stand firm. And he says, let nothing move you. Nothing pretty much means nothing. There's winds of doctrine. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Let nothing move you. Remember what I taught you. What a great disciple here. What? Remember what I've taught you. You hang on to that. You stand on that. And it's going to help you navigate the winds of adversity in ways you never imagined. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Revelation 22.6 reminds us, it's the angel talking to John, but he says, these words, these words in the word of God, they are trustworthy and they are true. How many of you believe that the Bible that you read is trustworthy and true? To, to your credit, sister, Teresa, that was an awesome word. If you really believe that God's word is, words are trustworthy and true, you will find your arms starting to open and embrace him and trust him in the storm. I'm telling you, keep reading your word. But let me remind you, I really want to remind you of a couple points this morning. And that is, the, go the gospel is the good news. Because it brings a person into the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of the Lord himself. Jesus is not some kind of cosmic hand that, that, that reaches down and pulls us from the threatening way. Jesus, help me. I'm in this storm. Help me. Gee, I'm waiting for your hand to grab me. Jesus, you're up there somewhere. That's not who Jesus is. I'm telling you, Jesus is the solid footing under our feet. He is the air in our lungs. He is the beat of your heart, my heart as well. He is the warm sun that shines on our skin, makes our gardens grow. He's the song in our ears, and he is the arms that hold us in our times of trouble. That is Jesus, and that is who he is. The gospel, I wrote, is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins. He eternally triumphed over his enemies so that there is now no condemnation 
for those who believe, but only everlasting joy and a promise of eternal life. Guys, that is incredibly good news. Are you sharing that with people around you? Let me remind you. I drilled down a little deeper. Let me remind you that the greatest good of the gospel is not just forgiveness. It is not just justification. It is not just eternal life. Now, those are all amazing and awesome things. But the highest, the fullest, the deepest, the sweetest good that the gospel brings is God himself. When we are in the presence of God because we believe and we've invited him into our heart and we've embraced what he teaches and tells us, all of a sudden God's presence is there. And when we're in God's presence, everything changes, right? That's one of the things that the vineyard, we've been known for. We talk about the presence of God and in his presence, everything changes. That's why we say things like, come Holy Spirit. Because we know that when the spirit of God shows up, everything changes. We must not forget that we are called to preach the gospel. Again, I want to remind you in 1 Timothy again, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist. Are you excited about what God has done for you? Are you? You should be so excited. It's like, I love it when my grandkids get a new toy. They got a new puppy. Lord help them. They got a new, new puppy. They were so excited. We got to see this puppy. Judah's out there running. The puppy's chasing him. The puppy's almost as big as Judah is. Jeez, that's a big puppy. And he's down there. The puppy's loving on him, and he's so excited. Grandpa, look at the puppy. Look at the puppy. <clears throat> are you that excited about Jesus? You go, hey, friend, let me tell you something, man. Are, are you in a place that you have so much of Jesus just leaking out of you that people go, hey, dude, what is it that you have? Because I want some of that. Jay, tell me what it is that God, what, what, I mean, what, what is that? And then Jay gets to share, it's Jesus, man. This guy, when he shares Jesus, he's passionate. Man, I love it. Where are the evangelists? It's time. It's time for the evangelists to start rising up. And that's all of you. I'm telling you guys, the word of God, I think it's Romans 10. I'll get to it in a moment. I think it's 10.5, but it says, Paul's saying, how will they know unless someone tells them? How will they know? How will they be able to believe and give, put faith in something if they've never been told and they've never heard? How will they know unless we go and preach to them and share the good news? This silent witness thing, to me, is a cop-out. Now, if you're living your life and you're, you're working and someone comes up to you and says, man, what is it? You're always at peace. I know there's stuff going on in your family. And you can share. That's awesome. And that also doesn't mean you need to go around wearing a shirt, you know, that's just saying, you know, you need Jesus or you're going to die. I mean, I'm just saying we need to be vocal. We need to be engaging with people, letting them experience our life rubbing up against us. I have a neighbor who called the other day for prayer. And, and it's, it's been a tough neighbor to, to get along with, but they called and just said, man, I need prayer. Because they've watched our lives. They know, they know that there's a well that they can go to and get living water. They don't understand all that terminology, <coughs> but they know. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to shift gears here. Luke chapter 4.
we're getting there. We're going to be starting in verse 16. But we have a phrase in the vineyard, and I've heard it around in other places as well, but it's come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. What does it really look like when the Holy Spirit comes? Well, in this Luke chapter 4, let me give you a little context here so you can kind of, a little timeline here. Back in Luke chapter 3, we see the baptism of Jesus. He's being baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God comes on. He's filled with the Spirit. What happens? He's immediately ushered out, and now he's in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted, right? So he's being tempted by the enemy for 40 days, and then after that, he returns back to Galilee, the word says us. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is leaking all over and out of him in every way imaginable. He shows up in Galilee, and wow, the glory of God just shines down, and things are happening, and people are being healed, and blind eyes open, and I mean, it's just crazy stuff going on. And then, in Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus has returned to his hometown of Nazareth. Let's see what happens here. <clears throat> he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up, and he read, and when he had opened up the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading from the book of Isaiah, and he goes to chapter 61. I encourage you to read Isaiah 61 in its entirety. It's important you do that. But he's reading on purpose. It wasn't like Jesus did one of these through the pages. He just went, he knew where he was going. And he stops on Isaiah 61 because he's about to blow their minds. He opens up the book where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he quotes that. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. They are assuming he's just reading verbatim. But Jesus literally is making a statement here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. They're all going, oh, that was a nice reading. But then Jesus does something here that's not in Isaiah 61. Then he closed the book, and I'm sure everyone's like, this is Jesus. Imagine what was going through their minds. All eyes, all, and the eyes of all were in, who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh my goodness. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This didn't go too well for Jesus. They got a little torque. They got upset. In fact, they grabbed him. They mobbed him. Took him up to the top of the hill. They were going to throw him off the hill. And Jesus, in his fashion, wasn't his time to go yet. It just says he simply walked through the crowd and disappeared. I would love to have that ability, wouldn't you? Oh, my goodness. In short, what Jesus is doing here is he's proclaiming himself to be the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. That's what he's doing. And, and 
we need to pay close attention to verse 19. And this is where it gets a little edgy. Verse 19 is that acceptable year of the Lord. Its origins, its origins comes from the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is all about the laws and all the precepts and things that they were required to do. And it was a special year that happened on the 50th year. Every 50th, 49th year in, 50th year started. And it was a year at Jubilee. <clears throat> it, was a, it was a moment in which debts would be remitted. If you owed money, it was all taken care of. Lands were restored to the original owners. Slaves, these Jewish slaves, they were all set free. All of this was based, this is important now, all of this was based on the Hebrew calendar. The Hebrew calendar is a, is a very interesting calendar. It's divided according to phases of the moon. And it's based on what's called lunisolar calculations. It has to do with the moon and the place of the full moon, the half moon, and all that kind of stuff. And, and what happens is, is they watch the moon instead of just observing certain days. Okay, And then all of this was designed to ensure that the religious festivals like the year of Jubilee occurred at the appropriate season, the appropriate month, the appropriate time. Very technical calendar, very precise. But here's, here's what's really interesting. Like Isaiah 61, Luke, who's writing this book, they're severing the connection between the Jubilee and the calendrical cycle that derives out of and reshapes the natural cycle of the land. Let me go on just a little bit farther. This was, they understood, his audience understood what all of a sudden it hit them. That's why they get so torqued. They understand what Jesus is saying. All of a sudden, this shocking revelation, this moment where today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, hearing is one of those, what did he just say moments? And that's really evident in the way they went on to just want to push Jesus off the cliff. Whew. In one fell swoop, Jesus identifies himself as the calendrical authority. He's in charge of the calendar now. That's what he's saying. I'm in charge of the calendar. I'm the one who determines literally what time it is from this day forward. And we're moving into a new time. It's a new day. You guys catch that? This gets a little okay. In other words, Jesus left the church calendar. He said, now I am the one who controls the time. I am the one who controls the time and the seasons. I'm the one. No longer is God deciding that the Jubilee transpires on, I, I had to research this, on the fifth year after the seven cycles of sabbatical years. I'm telling you, Jesus assumes this position. Now he's in charge of the calendar. His authority overrides the Levitical church calendar. It's out of the box. It's off the page. Many, many churches today, especially in uh, liturgical type situations, they're really, and, and I'll be honest, it seems as if they're driven by certain dates and times. Jesus is so outside of that. That's why sometimes I think you see people show up for just Easter. They just show up for, you know, some of Christmas or something. I'm telling you, every day should be Easter. Man, because Christ is risen. We should be sharing that with the world. We should be excited about that. Jesus is in charge of the calendar. If you're running your life by, by some old calendar and dates and stuff, man, maybe slide it to the side and ask God. Maybe God wants you to do something a little bit different. But I'm telling you, basically what Jesus is doing here, again, he is, he is saying, 
I am the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, and now I'm in charge of all time. And here's the time. This acceptable year of the Lord, <coughs> uh, the favorable year of the Lord, depends on the translation that you have, is not literally a year any longer. It's, it is a space of time that's characterized by God's grace and God's redemption and God's deliverance. You catching this? So in Isaiah 61, it goes on to proclaim not only this acceptable year of the Lord, but also the day of vengeance of our God. So translated, what this loosely means, this, this acceptable year of the Lord, a favorable year of the Lord, whatever translation you have. Tra- loose, well, if you could translate it, it in the Hebrew, it would mean favor. Or it would mean the years when God will accept man. So we have moved into, when Jesus made that proclamation, all of a sudden, the calendar was slid off the table, and it wasn't like every 50 years you get to be free. It's now for this season of time, and I control the time. You are in this moment of amazing grace. The acceptable year of the Lord. But he does say, but those who reject him, those who reject him in this season that we're in of amazing grace, will know The day of vengeance. John 3.18 says, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If we don't take the good news to them, they're doomed. Do you guys hear that? 2 Corinthians 6 says, As God's, 1 and 2, As God's fellow workers, we urge you, not to receive God's grace in vain. God has given us this amazing grace. Don't use it in vain. Don't let it be for nothing. It isn't about you just getting into heaven by yourself. That's selfish. He says, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We're in the moment when people's hearts, I believe, are the most open they'll ever be. And right now is the time for us to be bringing the good news to them. Is this making sense, guys? Even as all this bad news is swirling around us, the good news of his amazing grace, the good news of his forgiveness, the good news of his reconciliation, oh, is freely extended. And we are the ones that need to take this news to the lost. Right? We need to call them to repent and to turn from their sins and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior before it's too late. We're called to go and make disciples. The time of grace, the time of God's grace, the time of God's redemption and deliverance is now at hand. And everyone on the planet is invited into this moment. But how will they know if we don't go tell them? How will they know if you don't say anything? One of the saddest things I've heard over the years is I'll meet with people and you say, well, do you know, and do you know so-and-so? And you find out you're a lot more connected than you thought. And they go, yeah. And you go, yeah, we go to the same church. And they go, what? I didn't know they went to church. Oh. It should be like, yeah, I know that guy. Woo. He's almost a Jesus freak. 
I'm just saying we need to be so full of life that people go, oh, what is it that you have? I want that. So again, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit comes? We become powerful witnesses. We become powerful witnesses of the wonder-working power of God himself. Let's read that Luke 4, Isaiah 61 in a different perspective. Jesus is calling us to join his mission to make all things new. Why? Because he has anointed you. He has anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed you and he, he has sent you to heal the brokenhearted. He has anointed you to proclaim liberty to the captives and, re and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed to pro proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now's the time, guys. Now is the time. There's a moment of grace that Jesus opened up the door on. He, he stopped the clock. He set the calendar all aside, and he took it over, and he says, I'm telling you guys, now is the time. Now is the time of salvation. We have the Great Commission, and when you add with the, to the Great Commission, the Great Infusion, that's the filling of the Holy Spirit, that equals authority and power. Guys, both of these are essential for the vision and the mission of Jesus to be fulfilled. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? Only you can answer that question. Let me read to you the Great Commission in a little bit different perspective. We'll kind of close out with this. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Turn there, please. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus said, <clears throat> and Jesus came and said to them, all. Now count how many alls are in here, okay? Y'all, count the alls. And Jesus came and said, this is out of ESV. So, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all. I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, all the time, some translations, to the end of age. Did you, you guys catching this? So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're born again, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, all authority has been given to us to carry out this task, to go to all the nations, to communicate all his teachings, empowered by his presence all the time. We've got this. Paul's challenge, I think, resonates. He says, how can they call on someone they don't have faith in? And how can they have faith in someone that they haven't heard of? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Pretty well covers the basics, doesn't it? You know, what role are you going to play? What role are you going to play in making his love known outside of the walls of this church. What are you going to do? Are you just going to come here on Sunday? This is what evangelists do. They, they like to light your pants on fire. They love to stir the pot. Then they get to leave. <coughs> and then the pastor's like, oh, man, we got some messes to clean up. But I'll light you up. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're just going to sit here every Sunday and just go, you know, I like it. It's comfortable. It's you know, are, are you going to take at heart what Jesus is saying? Hey, I've opened up this season of time. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. 
Now is the moment of grace when it's all been opened. You need to move that forward and invite people into that. There's so many ways we can do that. So many of you work in circles of the marketplace. There's so many ways you can do that. <clears throat> and if you don't know how to uh, introduce someone to Jesus, you know, some people are scared to death of how do you present the gospel? How do you share that with someone? Well, we can talk about that. For some people who have the gift of gab, it's easy. My wife, my kids used to hate going like to the mall with me because I was talking to everybody. Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? Hey, have you heard, you know, like, <laughs> have you, and they're like, You know everybody, Dad. I don't know everybody. I love to talk to everybody. Some people can do that. Some of you, it's, it's tougher to do that. And that's okay, but you can still learn how to share your faith. I tell you guys, next week I want to talk about, probably be four people here next week. I'm, I want to talk, talk about what it means to become a disciple of Christ. What does it really mean? In our Western culture, ooh, this gets tough. Everybody, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. Then when, you, then when you teach someone from the word, Jesus says, command them to obey and make a comment about, you know, maybe you ought to you work on that area in your life. And they're like, <gasps> and everything stops and they slide on their ear for 100 yards and it's terrible. This is terrible. I mean, Dennis over at Parkway said it the best. He said, man, we got this thing about us. We want to be free. That if the ocean hadn't have been there, we would have kept going west. Because pioneers know <laughs> it's not freedom. We're going west for freedom. Well, the ocean finally stopped us. But somehow we have to reconcile with who's really in authority. And it's Jesus. And we can do this and do this well. Amen. Let's stand. <clears throat> I threw a lot at you this morning. I so appreciate it. Uh, but think about that. Jesus literally, literally stopped the world there for a moment when he said, today this scripture is fulfilled. And he opened up this moment of time. And we don't know how long this time is. But it's a time of amazing grace that we are empowered to go out and compel people to come in to the very presence of God. God's heart is that no one would perish. But without Jesus and without God, you won't make it to the promised land. That's just the facts. So I want to say, if, if you're even wondering where your relationship with Jesus is at, I would love for you to come forward. You can stand off to the side. We'd love to pray with you. If you need healing in your life, uh, there's some other, there's some incredible people here who would love to pray for you. I don't want anyone leaving here with, with uh, not being touched by the presence of God. Amen? So, Father, I just thank you for this moment. And, Father, I just thank you for moments we get to share hard and tough words that challenge our character and causes us to surrender those little funny little strongholds that we build and give more of ourselves to you. Thank you, God. And, Father, I just pray that you would call out that evangelistic spirit in every one of us, God. That you would challenge us to share you with the world, God. Whatever way that looks like, whatever circle of influence we run in, God. Father, your word says that you've commissioned us with all authority. You've given us everything we need to carry out this task. And Father, we should be doing it with joyful hearts.
Father, we just thank you. And we all said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a glorious day. I hope to see at least four of you back here next week. the goodness of God.